Amen. Well, good morning, City Light. Good to be with you guys. Like Eric said, my name's Doug, and I love following Jesus with you all. Uh, for the past couple weeks, I've kind of been following Jesus from my bed or my couch, fighting off COVID, and uh, it wasn't fun, just so you know, uh, but Jesus was faithful, and my wife was very patient and kind, and I'm thrilled to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, while I was fighting off COVID, a friend of mine, and she's a member of our church, her name is Mary. Uh, Mary also had COVID, and she's still fighting, guys. Uh, she was in the hospital. She was in ICU. Now she's out of ICU. Now she's still in the hospital. It has not been easy for her. So if you guys don't mind, I would love for us just to serve her by praying for her as a church family. So would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, I pray for Mary uh, as she's fighting through this. Uh, thank you that she's now out of ICU and uh, she's getting better. But Jesus, I pray that you would draw near to her in her hospital room, uh, that where she is, she would know your presence and she would be able to commune with you, talk with you, listen to you, and you would assure her that she's not forgotten, she's not alone, but she is loved by you and known by you. And I also pray you'd bring healing to her body. Jesus, let your kingdom come and your will be done in Mary's body just like it is in heaven. And uh, let her experience that healing. Give her strength and energy to live out all the good works that you have planned for her, like the Bible talks about. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying for Mary. And uh, yeah, we're going to wrap up our series of messages through this book. First John this morning, and we're going to finish it the same way we started it, all about Jesus. Around here in our church, we love to talk about Jesus. He's like, he's the big E on the I chart for us. Uh, he is the centerpiece of our Sunday gatherings. He's the hallmark of the conversations in our city groups. Jesus is the subject of our songs, and he's the main idea of our sermons. Jesus is the hope in our hearts. In fact, if you're new with us this morning, can I just say our, our number one desire for you, our greatest desire for you this morning is that you would experience Jesus, that you would hear the words of Jesus and know the heart of Jesus. Whether you like the songs or remember this sermon or appreciate Eric's beard, all that sort of stuff, it like falls to the background for us. And man, we want the life, the heart, the infinite love of Jesus to be first and foremost among us. Why is that? Well, it's because when we read our Bibles, we see that it is a unified story leading us to Jesus. Every chapter in every book of the Bible shines the spotlight on Jesus. Please hear, the Bible isn't a collection of religious teachings or moral sayings or laws and principles you should live by. The Bible is primarily a revelation of who God is for us in the person, in the work of Jesus. Like in the book of Genesis, 
Jesus is the promised one who will come and crush that ancient serpent's head. In the book of Exodus, Jesus is the redeemer who sets God's people free. In the book of Leviticus, Jesus is our one pure and holy sacrifice. In the Psalms, he's the one who hears our cries and our prayers. And Zephaniah, Jesus is the one who sings over us with the affection and the love of God. In Romans, he's our justification. In Corinthians, he's our sanctification. In Hebrews, he's the one who's faithful to pray for us. And in 1 John, Jesus is our life, our light, and our love. So City Light, this morning, let's do what we always do. Let's open our Bibles and see Jesus. If you got your app or your actual Bible with pages in it, go to 1 John chapter 5. Two points this morning. The first one is this. In a world of sin, Jesus keeps us safe. Second point is that in our life with Jesus, we keep away from idols. All right? First one. In a world of sin, Jesus keeps us safe. Look at 1 John chapter 5, the first part of verse 18. John writes, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? John's just stating the reality for us that when we've been born again, born of God, we won't keep on making a practice of sinning. That's awesome. But what's not so awesome is the few verses before here, there's this conversation from John where he essentially says that we can sin our way to death. Like John's really honest about the reality of sin in his letter, this deep heart-level betrayal of God, and instead of following him and worshiping him and loving him, we like turn away from him, we stiff arm the very God who loves us and gave himself for us, and instead we do life on our own terms thinking that we know better, that's sin. And John says it's deadly. And by deadly, I mean that we can give ourselves to sin so much and so thoroughly, so completely so repeatedly that we get to a place where we prefer death over life. We can get to this place where we will choose the death of sin over against life with God. And John says that is sin. It is deadly. He's really blunt. He's really honest with us about the reality of sin. Not only is sin real, but also, John says, Satan is real. Look at the tail end of verse 19. John writes, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In the power of Satan. And I, I wish there was like some way to maybe like skip that verse or just ignore that verse. But we got to like look at it and then acknowledge it. It's staggering. It says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Like, let that sink in a little bit. From east to west and north to south, everywhere in between, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Developed nations with our science and technology and trying to figure out how to let people live longer and all that stuff, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
less developed nations with poverty, and they're just struggling to try to create jobs or feed people. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The, the world isn't merely a collection of homes and houses and people trying to be nice and plants and animals and biological processes. The world isn't governed by seemingly random decisions made by world leaders. No, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And some might say, man, this idea of the devil, of the Satan, I mean, that's an old religious idea that belongs back in the dark ages. But the Bible says, no, Satan is real, personal, and alive, and he's still at work all over the world, like way over there, far away, but also right up close, round here in our lives, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 says, we live in a present evil age. Ephesians 5.16 says, the days are evil. Satan, in the Bible, he's called the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. So you're like, this is the world we live in. At the end of 1 John, the outlook on the world and sin and Satan, it is dark and deadly. And this is probably as good of time as any to tell you a little bit kind of how I feel about 1 John. Is that all right? Like, I don't like 1 John. Is that okay to say? Even like while I'm preaching through 1 John? Um, I haven't really enjoyed our study in 1 John. And while you're all worried about me, I'll try to explain a little bit, okay? Um, I haven't liked 1 John because John is so intense, right? Like he is so intense. For John, everything is either life or darkness. And I just kind of want to watch some YouTube videos where people fall off tire swings and smack their face, you know? And for John, everything is either light or darkness. And I'm going, I just kind of want to read a book that helps me relax, for John, everything is either always practicing righteousness or always practicing sin. And I'm thinking, can I just watch a movie and chill out a little bit? Can I just sit back and enjoy a soccer game? Anyone else feel that way? You're like, John, you're so intense, man. Slow your roll. Stop being so intense. And that feeling, that response that I have, and maybe some of you have it too, here's what I've learned about it. That is a, it's a lullaby that sin sings to me to try to tell me mm, nothing's really a big deal and just do whatever makes you feel comfortable. It's this lullaby, a favorite strategy of Satan to sing me into a spiritual sleep and keep me distracted from these intense truths that John is trying to teach. I say, ah, sin's not that big of a deal. John's like, it can kill you. I think, well, I mean, I don't really need to worry about Satan. And John's like, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And here's what I've learned about John that I do appreciate. John's not doing this because he's a pessimist. John's not doing this because he likes to live life at the extremes and he has this intense personality. 
John is doing this because he wants us to see Jesus for all he is. To see Jesus for everything that he is. John is like a diamond salesman. He pulls out a dark black velvet backdrop on which to lay the shining diamond of Jesus Christ so that we can really see just how remarkably beautiful and lovely and pure and good and shining Jesus is. The dark deadness, the reality of sin, it shows the life-giving light of Jesus even more. The reality, this ugly reality of Satan at work in our world, it shows us and calls us to see the goodness of Jesus even more. So let me just show you how this plays out in the text itself. Watch this in verse 18. Go back to the beginning. He says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, But he who was born of God protects him. John does something really awesome here. At first, he's just kind of zoomed out and he's generally talking about anyone born of God. Any of us who have been born again, Jesus following Christians. But then he zooms in and he talks specifically about the ultimate one born of God, begotten of God. That's Jesus. And John is saying to us that the ultimate one, born of, begotten by God, he protects all the brothers and sisters who have been born again by God. In a world of sin, Jesus keeps us safe. In a world of sin, Jesus protects us. The Greek word that John uses for protect here, it it means to tend to, to care for, to observe and monitor carefully, to protect. So let me try to illustrate this. Um, In all my years of having my car, I really haven't taken good care of it, like the exterior, like I haven't protected it. I might wash my car once every two years or, you know, something like that. Whenever I'm bored at the gas station, I'm like, well, I should just go through the car wash. Um, I've never waxed my car, uh, never really, like, tried to wax my car. Like, I haven't protected it, and it's become really apparent because it pretty much has, like, these two racing stripes down it from all the peeling paint on my car. It doesn't look cool. It's not pretty. But some of you, on the other hand, (laughs) like you care for your car and you protect your car. You wash it on most days that end in Y and uh, you wax it pretty regularly. And like you might be out driving your truck around and you accidentally go through a puddle and you admit, you just get home as soon as you possibly can, pull in the garage, get out the tire cleaner, you clean the tire, you give it a hug and apologize to it for going through that puddle. I mean, you care for, you protect your car. Or moms with your newborns, right? You know this heart, what it means to care for and protect. That baby is born in every little thing in your life changes. You better have the best thread count on those sheets so that baby has the best chance to sleep. 
You'll change your whole diet and your life routine so that baby doesn't run the risk of getting indigestion. I mean, you will rock with that baby for hours. Sing to that baby the same song over and over again. Look into your child's eyes for hours because you care for that child. You will do anything to protect that child. In City Light, that is the heart of Jesus for us. In a world of sin, Jesus protects us. And Jesus cares for us. He watches us. He monitors us. He will hold us and rock us and look us in the eyes for hours and sing over us the love song of God the Father. Oh, beloved, please know this morning that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus knows your weak spots and your areas of temptation, and he will protect you. Jesus knows your real needs and your desires, and he will feed you. Jesus is a shepherd. We are sheep, and he is glad to protect us. Even to the point that it says the evil one can't touch us. Right? That's how it ends, verse 18 He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So Jesus' protection is so solid. His care is so strong. His concern is so thorough that not only does he know our our weaknesses and our needs and our temptations, but he also knows how Satan works. He knows how the lion prowls around looking for someone to devour. He knows how the evil one wants to creep up and creep in and lie and steal and kill and destroy. Jesus knows all that, but he won't let Satan grip you. He won't let it happen. Just like the lyric from one of the best rap songs in the 90s. When Satan tries to get close to us and sneak in and lie to us and tempt us and pull us away, Jesus instead steps between us and him and he says, can't touch this, right? Y'all love MC Hammer and it's true in this situation, right? No, bro, you can't touch this. Satan doesn't like that. He sneers and he snarls, but Jesus just shakes his head. No, you can't touch this one. This one is mine. This one has been bought by my blood. This one has been born again to a living and vital relationship with God. This one is fully mine and always mine and forever mine. You can't have it, this one. You can't touch this one. This one is mine. And of course Satan doesn't like that. You know that Satan lives for your death. But Satan, though he may snarl, even though the whole world may lie in the power of the evil one, Jesus, our king, the one who is with us, the one who is in us, Jesus, the one who is for us, he has overcome the evil one, and therefore greater is he who is in you than he who, yes, he's in the world, but Jesus is greater, and Jesus is stronger, and Jesus protects us from the evil one. He can't even touch us. You track with that? In a world of sin, Jesus keeps us safe. That's the first point. Now, the second point is this. In our life with Jesus, we keep away from idols. Okay? Uh, Look at verse 20. John packs a lot in these last couple of verses. And so let's just walk through them. 
In verse 20, he writes, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. It's like a pearl necklace, right? This verse is long, but it's a pearl necklace where John is stringing together these pearls, one after the next, beauty upon beauty for us to see. Or children, if you remember, you enjoy candy necklaces, right? Like I remember those being on me, and it was just like one bite of goodness after the next. What John is doing here is he is stringing together these pearls for us, handing us a candy necklace for us to taste and see and enjoy all these qualities of Jesus. So let's just go back through verse 20 and see these qualities. He says, we know that the Son of God has come. And Jesus, he left the comforts of heaven so that he could come near to us, be near to us. So the Son of God has come And has given us understanding. So when Jesus left the comforts of heaven to come to us, he didn't come empty-handed. He came to give us this gift, this gift of understanding, of truly knowing. What do you want me to understand, Jesus? He says, so that we may know him who is true. So when Jesus left the comforts of heaven and he came for us, he gives us understanding so that we don't have to wander around in the dark. Who is God really? Like, what is God like? Can I know if God is true? No, Jesus came. Jesus is for us. He gives us understanding so we can know the one true God. He continues, and we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. So it's not like we just get this fact sheet about God and, oh, those are cool facts about him. No, we also get to be in him, in Jesus Christ. This knowing that John is talking about, it's not like a head knowledge knowing. It is an intimate relationship with the one true God, knowing we are in him. The passage continues. He is the true God. This right here, it's saying blank, uh, point blank. Jesus is the true God. Right? You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. If you want to know, is Jesus God? Yes, he is. And he is eternal life. He gives us life that satisfies us and sustains us forever. It's a string of pearls, a candy necklace just waiting to be eaten and enjoyed. And so City Light, let me call you, okay? Let me call you to like Jesus. Love Jesus with all your heart because he's so lovely. Like Jesus with all of your mind because he's so smart. And trust Jesus with all of your life because he's so trustworthy. You don't need to relate to Jesus like he's this uh, fact sheet or this um, candidate resume or social media video. No, you can relate to Jesus as the one true living God. He is eternal life and he gives eternal life, the kind of life that satisfies you in your deepest needs, the kind of life that sustains you, the kind of life that wells up inside of you and overflows out of you. Jesus is the true God and eternal life. And if he is life like that, then how do we respond? What do we do? John answers it for us in verse 21. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. What's an idol? In John's time, idols were these um, like false gods 
these man-made statues or carved images that were meant to like represent one of the gods that they believed in. And different cities might have different gods and they would sell them on the street corners. So a family might be out and they find one of these street vendors and they realize, oh, there's a new god, a new idol. And so they buy that idol and they take it home and they worship it in the hopes that it might make that god happy and make their lives better. Now, my guess is for most of us today, we look at that system of idol worship and we go, oh, I mean, like, that doesn't really work. I mean, like, why would you bow down to this carved statue? It doesn't have any real power. Or we may look at that and go, ah, you know what? Why would you, like, think that worshiping this thing would make that God happy? Of course that doesn't work. But I would challenge you. I'd ask you to think about this. Maybe we are actually more into idolatry still today than we would care to admit. It's just that our idols are a little more sophisticated and not so much carved statues. It's just our idols can tend to be more emotional, psychological, and not wood. Today, an idol is anything that we ask to give us something that only Jesus can actually give us. You track with that? Like an idol is anything or anyone that we want them to be for us, something that only Jesus can actually be for us. Like sometimes in my life, I can make an idol out of leadership. I'll ask leadership or trust being a leader to give me worth and value and significance. Or we can make an idol out of our jobs, our work, and as long as we're doing well in that job and keeping that job, then we feel significant and valuable and successful. But if we lose that job or we're failing in that job, then we lose our sense of value and our sense of success. We can make an We can make an idol out of alcohol, right? Maybe it just starts innocent where we just drink a little bit at night to help us relax, but then it becomes a habit and it becomes a need and addiction and we get to this place where we can't be happy unless we have alcohol in our hands. Or we might make an alcohol out of a special relationship. You know, as long as they like me and they don't ever break up with me, then I can be happy. An idol is anything that we ask to give us something that only Jesus can give us. And and remember the string of pearls, right? Verse 20. Remember, only Jesus is the one who pursued us and came for us and chased after us. Only Jesus is the one who gives us understanding to really know God, not just have facts about God, but enjoy intimate relationship with God. Only Jesus is truly God. Only Jesus is this eternal life and gives that eternal life to us, a life that can satisfy us and give us purpose and give us a sustaining power through our lives. Jesus alone is that strength ring of pearls, the one true God who gives eternal life. Therefore, in light of that, we keep away from idols. So, how do we keep away from idols? Let me share with you two ways that we keep away from idols. We either destroy them or we demote them, okay? Any idol that is inherently sinful must be destroyed. Any idol that isn't inherently sinful, we demote it. Let let me explain. First, take, for example, the idol of pornography in our culture. That is 
rampant. Statistically, two out of every three men and one out of every six women regularly views pornography. The Bible is super clear that looking at pornography, that pornography, it is a sin against God and against others. So if you view pornography, you have an idol of pornography. It is inherently sinful, and it must be destroyed. Not like, oh, I should probably think about cutting back on that, or maybe I should decrease my use of that. No, it is inherently sinful. It is an idol that must be destroyed. We destroy that idol by confessing it as sin to a faithful and trusted Christian friend who will pray for us and walk with us as we seek to destroy that idol. We destroy that idol by installing accountability software on our computers and our phones so that we can get help starving and destroying that idol. But maybe even more powerfully, how do we destroy an idol that is inherently sinful? By developing and pursuing intimacy with Jesus himself, right? If the idol we trust to give us life, but it actually can't, then let's destroy that by going to the one who actually can give us life, who actually can sustain us and satisfy every longing that we have, every need that we have. So if an idol is inherently sinful, like pornography or alcohol abuse or lying or adultery, whatever it is, it must be destroyed. But if an idol is not inherently sinful, then we need to demote it. Like there's lots of good things in lives that we in our lives that we try to turn into God things. Right? Then you may have a good thing in your life, but you try to make it a God thing in your life. Like for me, my marriage, it's a good gift that God has given to me. But there's times, man, when I will ask Whitney to give me hope in life. I will ask Whitney to give me validation and worth and that she's the one who needs to make me happy. And I'm trying to take this good gift and make it a God thing. And when I take the good thing and try to make it a God thing, that's idolatry. And she's not able to meet those needs that only Jesus can meet for me. So what I need to do is demote that idol back down to where it belongs. I need to just acknowledge it, confess it, that I've made an idol out of my marriage. I've made this good thing a God thing, but then I need to just acknowledge it can't satisfy me. It can't can't give me the life that I long for. Demote it back down to below Jesus and go after Jesus. Pursue intimate relationship with him and say, Jesus, would you satisfy me? Jesus, would you give me these things that I long for and desire? Jesus, would you be everything for me that this can't be? You track with that? So if an idol is inherently sinful, we got to destroy it. If it's not inherently sinful, then we demote it. So let me ask you this. Do you have idols in your life? Or maybe a more accurate question What are the idols in your life? And we're not like going on a hunt or this search for carved images in our lives. Most likely, we're looking for habits or patterns of behavior that we return to over and over again, asking it to give us what we know only Jesus can give us. We're looking for good things in our lives that we've promoted to God things, and we need to demote them back down to just good things in our lives. Let me urge you, friends, this week, set aside some time to search your heart 
and ask Jesus to reveal to you, what are the idols that I'm looking for? What are the idols that I need to destroy? What are the idols that I need to demote? Process that with your city group. Invite them in to help you, pray for you, and point you to real and true life in Jesus. Remember the string of pearls. Only Jesus can give us life. Only Jesus came for us and drew near to us and showed us the true God. Only Jesus invites us into him, into God, into his son, Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is the true God and can truly satisfy us. Only Jesus loves us and delights in us, warts in all, just as we are. Only Jesus is truly God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father God, we're asking you to come and uh, make this work in our lives. Uh, I love how so many people in our church, so many people in our city are asking the question, does this actually work? Does this actually make a difference? And Father God, I'm asking you, would you take the truth, these intense truths that John has given us in his letter, these intense truths just in these last few verses, would you take them, Father, and make them work in our lives? That they wouldn't just be new ideas picked up at church, but they would transform us. They would change us. They would work out in our lives. And Father, right now I pray for anyone in the room who's going, I am attacked by Satan. So many lies are being thrown at me. The arrows are coming at me. Oh God, would you stand in, step in. Would you empower them to fight back and say, no, you can't touch me because Jesus has changed me. You can't touch me because I've been born again into a living relationship with God. Oh, Jesus, would you show us your power, your strength, your authority, and let us experience that and live in that and walk in that. Would you deliver us from evil through your powerful name? Father, I pray for all of us in the room. I know we are, can so easily have these idols in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships. Would you give us the grace to see those and admit, acknowledge that they're there and then destroy the ones that need to be destroyed and demote the others back down to just being good gifts. Help us, Father, to trust that you, through your son Jesus, are life for us. Everything that we need, everything we long for, we can find in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' good name, amen.